0: But I want to start tonight with uh, a metaphor, a mushal, that was given by one of the greatest Chassidim who ever lived. His name was Rashbatz. Rashbatz is an acronym for Shmuel Bitzalel. This was a Hasid who saw three rabbis and surprisingly grew up as a misnaget in the opposition to Hasidus. He discovered Chassidus on his own. And he came to become one of the greatest Hasidim. He taught the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Rebbe's father-in-law was taught by him. And much of what we would call Fabrengin material. You sit down to a Fabrengin, and a rabbi says some inspiring words with Hasidic aphorisms and stories and thoughts come from him. He was so enamored with what he found that... uh, He allowed it to take him over completely, and he became one of the literally the founding pillars of Hasidah. You say Rashbats in a yeshiva, every boy knows who you're talking about. Great, great Hasid. And he he loved to use his descriptive talent to give these metaphors that would bring out his point. And so, he once told of a king who had this most beautiful bird. a king king. who had the most beautiful, exquisite bird bright colors just majestic to look at it made the sweetest sounds it had the perfect shape and every day, the king would spend time half an hour, just him and the bird it was one of his ways of, you know, a pastime but this bird, like any bird, started to grow older and with age The color started to fade, became a little lackluster, weaker, harder time walking. Before you know it, the wings stopped working, it couldn't fly, then it kind of fell over and it was blinded in one eye, and then it broke a leg, and it was becoming this dysfunctional bird. But the king never stopped playing with it. Every day, half an hour, was his time with the bird. And ultimately, the bird died, and there was a sculptor in the king's court who knew how much the king had adored this bird. He decided to make a replica, a stone replica of the bird, but the way it looked originally. In other words, the, the, the good old days. And for the end of the shiva, you know, he brought it in, yeah. or the shloshim, who knows. It took him a couple of days to build it for this bird, and he brings it into the king. The king is holding it and looking at it, and this is literally, you know, exact copy of his bird, and you can see he's not happy. And the sculptor says, you know, my dear king, the bird you had last week was, was falling apart, dark, it was broken, no, with, with almost zero beauty. I'm giving you this, this is, how come you don't appreciate it? The king said, he's not alive. He's not alive. The Baal Shem Tov once visited Germany. And he walked into a shul. They told him it's the most you know, prestigious shul in this community. And he opened the door and he said, I can't go in here. I said, why? He said, the shul is too full. Full of what? It's full of Torah and davening. All the words of Torah and davening are here. I, I, I can't go inside. So, I took that as a compliment. And they walked into the next shul. Maybe we'll, you'll fit in here. Went to the next shul, and uh, there was a simple person's shul. No big sages daven there. And they opened the door, and he said, Oh, here I can go inside. They said, why can you go inside here? He says, his shul is empty. There's no, no words of Torah, no words of davening. So they said, really? It's interesting, you know, what, what's the difference? And he said, the Zohar teaches that every word of Torah and davening requires wings to ascend heavenward. For a person davens with passion, with love and fear of God, those are the wings that help it ascend. And the simple person's shul Everybody has sincerity, and so all their davening and Torah gets the wings and is elevated. There's no Torah inside here, but in the other shul, the people that think too much of themselves with the big egos, all their Torah stayed inside. It didn't get uplifted. It didn't get. It didn't have the wings that allowed it to ascend. And so I couldn't. I couldn't go in. What connects these two episodes, the idea of being alive and being passionate in the service of God is actually one of the revolutions of Hasidus. If there's one thing, and I know I've said this in the past, that there's one thing which the Baal Shem Tov changed, and last time it was something else, this time it's another thing. But if there's one thing that can be really attributed to the Baal Shem Tov, it's the transformation or maybe the transportation from scholarship to sincerity. For generations, contemporarily, it was believed that the more scholarly you are, the better Jew you are. This guy knows more Torah, he gets more points. The illiterate, uneducated, they get less points. But the Baal Shem Tov, and there's a whole story behind it, came to an incredible recognition that simple people, because of their sincerity, might be more in tune with Hashem and with godliness, than the greatest sage. And he said, therefore IQ is not what matters. It's your enthusiasm, it's the energy, it's the passion that you put into serving Hashem. It's not about being sophisticated, let's say. Sometimes it's about being simple. Why am I saying all this tonight? Because from chapter 38, until Chapter 53, the end of the, of the Tanya, part one of the Tanya, we're on the last leg, the final third. We turn from the discussion about serving God to the inspiration behind serving God. We spend 37 chapters unpacking the discipline of the Tanya. How does the Tanya want you to live? How are you supposed to look? Perspective on many things your inner potential, your struggle. All the things that can bring joy and motivation in service of God. We've addressed, let's call it the body of Hasidic philosophy. Now we're delving into the soul. What is it that can inspire a person along his journey of serving God? A person wants to inject passion. How does he go about that? And this is going to be (coughs) 16 chapters, 38 to 53. We're going to be having wonderful, wonderful discussions about injecting the life into Torah and mitzvahs. Not just having the beautiful bird, but having it be alive. And the headline that's going to accompany us all the way through is a statement of the sages to be found in the Talmud. The Talmud teaches, mitzvah below kavana keguf a mitzvah without intent it's a little translation now a mitzvah without intent is like a body without a soul mitzvah without intent body without a soul the simple understanding of this phrase is to communicate to us the value of intent so long as you have the mitzvah without intent you're missing the soul but there's a flip side this which is equally important. A body without a soul exists. It will decompose, it will disintegrate, but but, but it, it does exist. Which means that there is inherent value to an act of a mitzvah even without intent. And if anything, we've been talking about for the last three weeks about the intense value of the ritual. and Why is Judaism so occupied with the details of the ritual? Why are we so action-oriented? And we've, we've had great discussions about that. How Hashem wants the home in the lowest of realms. The lower you bring Him, the more at home He feels. The idea of uh, mitzvahs being godly acts and not just symbolic things. We believe that... The body on its own is incredibly valuable. Wrapping of the tefillin, even if you don't have intent, even if you don't know the great Kabbalistic unions that you're achieving, it doesn't matter. Do the deed. Keeping Shabbos, do the deed. Wearing the tzitzis, do the deed. It's incredibly important to do the deed. At the same time, what, the, what this statement of Chazal communicates to us is that you're missing the soul. Without the intent, it's, it's not gonna go anywhere. There's no, there's no energy, there's no life to it. In other words, it's necessary as a Jew to infuse our Torah and mitzvahs with feeling, with joy, with a fire. We gotta be aroused, we gotta be excited, we gotta be, we gotta be in the zone. This is the intent which the sages speak of. When they say a mitzvah lacking intent is a body without a soul, the intent doesn't just mean to think about, you know, I'm lighting Hanukkah candles, let me think about the Greeks being defeated, or let me think about bringing light to the world. That is one level of intent. But the intent which we're going to be using in these coming chapters is the passion, the inspiration invested within the act. You could do a mitzvah dryly, and you could do a mitzvah... With a oomph, you can see it. By the way, this is not part of the tanya, but as an aside, it's the only way to sustain continual doing of the mitzvahs because the roboticism is not going to lead you anywhere. There's going to come a point, if all, your, all the mitzvahs that you're doing are just because you're going through the motions or you're doing it by rote, or this is how I was brought up, or I was a robot, there's going to come a point where you're going to come up against the wall. And I remember talking about this a number of months ago. Saying how in, our, in yeshiva they would tell us all the time that the day you question why you're doing what you're doing is the day you're beginning the path to success. Many people, you know, we're scared of questions. Oh, if you're questioning it, it's no good. Oh, you're having doubts. No, the, the day you have doubts is the day your Judaism will become meaningful. Because that's what in, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna force you to take a deep look and to say, you know, where is, where is my passion? And so passion is incredibly, incredibly important. And we're going to be delving into many types of passion. We're going to find out that it's not just one size fits all. There are many levels. But before we go there, I want to just expand this a little bit. Share with you something... Show you something fascinating from, from this chapter. To the degree that you don't want to see God in this world, He will be equally non present in something physical as in something spiritual. In other words, and this ties into a conversation we've had many chapters ago, that the word olam, the word world in Hebrew, shares the root with helen, hiddenness. Because God, by default, and by definition in fact, hid himself from this world. The way the world is wired is to conceal his presence. And so if you choose to adopt that prism, you say, I'm gonna look at the world from that perspective, from the perspective of God is hidden. You won't find God anywhere. You won't find God in an idea. You won't find God in a meditation. Just like you won't find Him in a rock. You won't find Him anywhere. You won't find Him on the top of Mount Everest. You won't find Him in the voodoo's in India. You won't, because to the degree you've chosen that path, God will be <coughs> beyond your reach. On the other hand, to the degree you choose to see God in the world, you will find Him everywhere you will find him in your most mundane activities, from eating breakfast, to the most thrilling experience of your life. Because that's the way it is. There's no, there's no middle ground. If you, if, if you choose the viewpoint of concealment, concealment will be what you see everywhere. If you choose the method of insight, you want to see in to what's really happening, You will see him everywhere. And what that means is that essentially God is in and not in everything at the same time to the same degree. It's a very deep idea. the problem then becomes how do we say that a mitzvah without intent is like a body without a soul if God is equally inside everything he's equally inside an act fulfilled with intent as an act without intent because to the degree that we want to find Hashem we find Him everywhere and so the Altar makes a very very important introductory statement as we enter this discussion of passion passion is completely Jew-centered the advantage of infusing your your deeds of Torah and mitzvahs with the extra bout of energy is to help you. It's not so much about finding Hashem more, because He's equally everywhere, but as a human, when you're in touch with the feeling, with the meaning, with, with, with the energy present in a mitzvah, you will experience it that much deeper. So just a very important thing to keep in mind that when we talk about the virtues of having kavanah, which is the Hebrew equivalent of of, of intent, of, of, of inspiration, we don't mean to say that your mitzvah becomes more godly. Your mitzvah is equally godly when you do it with intent or without intent, which is why, by the way, the Rebbe was so focused. On getting Jews to do mitzvahs, no matter what they do before, what they do after, no matter what they're thinking during or before or, or doesn't matter. Because there isn't there is inherent godliness. Yet the passion, which is so important, is because it brings us to be more in tune with what it is that we're that we're accomplishing. It's kind of like the author actually uses this analogy. He says it's kind of like um, forget mitzvahs for a second it, just the world you know it, Hashem is equally in 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 the inanimate and in, in the vegetable kingdom as he is in the animal and the human kingdom but of course when a human being does what he has to do there's a lot more value not because Hashem is more in there but because this is a fulfillment of a purpose of creation versus Hashem's presence in the inanimate which was created to just be inanimate so it stays there But that's that's the baseline of the coming discussions. The passion behind the mitzvah is the soul of the mitzvah. It's the life of the mitzvah. Or as I used the, in the earlier story of the Baal Shem Tov, and the term will come up in chapter 40, it's the wings. It's the wings which elevate the, the Torah and mitzvahs heavenward. Fundamentally, fundamentally, there are two elements to this kavana, this passion that a person has in serving God. And they are going to be called, throughout the Tanya, Ahava and Yira, love and fear. Love. Yeah. That's a literal translation, love and fear. But when you see Ahava and Yira in the Tanya, it has to equal inspiration. Don't take love and fear as, as literal. It's a code word for whatever you're putting into the mitzvah, the soul of the mitzvah. Why, why does he use... The, Ava and Yira. Is, it, is that the fear of God? Or the
1: fear?
0: Yeah, love of, love of God and fear of God. But the reason why they're called, huh? Or awe. Oh. Awe oh, is a better translation. Yeah, the reason why, it's, why, why we use these terms is because they communicate the two basic elements that are present in every passion. Love is a feeling of closeness. When you love somebody, <laughs> the underlying feeling is, I want to get closer. Fear, or more correctly translated, awe, or a, or a reverence, or a, or a seriousness, is not so much, when you're in awe of somebody, the feeling is not so much, I want to get closer, as much as, I don't want to lose what I got. There's something special here. I honor it. I don't want the cord to snap. So I'm going to stay in line. So there's no fear of the punishment, let's call it. There's no fear of the, of the whip. But it's a, it's there's a distance that's maintained in in yira, in fear, because it says, "Wow, Hashem is awesome, totally beyond my comprehension." And we're going to un- unpack many types of yira in the coming chapters. But the the, the thrust of it is, I'm going to keep, I'm I'm, I'm going to keep right here. I'm going to keep in check, and these two coexist. Every time you have passion in a mitzvah, you're saying two things. A love, a, a, a desire to connect, and at the same time, an honorable distance being maintained. And that's why it became the code word, even in the Zohar it already appears, that love and fear are, are the code word for inspiration behind, behind, uh, behind doing a mitzvah. So that's, that's the baseline for the chapter. Anybody have a, a question or a comment before I, a I go to the next part? What do yeah. you mean
1: by I, do You mean intent or inspiration? I'm, or is it the same word? And I'm...
0: Yes. So it, it, many times when we study Chassidus, the the, the uh, what what happens is we take words in Talmud and we give them a deep a, a deeper meaning. So the word in the Talmud is kavana, intent, which literally means thinking about something. But in the Tanya, whenever we use the word intent, we we mean passion. We mean Gosh inspiration. Them. That's what we mean. We mean the energy that you invest in the deed that makes it from being dry to being oomph, from being body to being soul. Now, it's time to, to delve into this. This is the baseline. And forgive me, I'm just going to repeat, so we have the summary. A mitzvah without passion is a body without a soul. What that means is, a body exists and has value. Yet, there's no energy, there's no life. When you put in the kavana, when you put in the inspiration, now you've enlivened it. Now you've put in the battery. Now it's got wings, now it's ready to fly. But, there's no one-size-fits-all. We don't say that everybody has to have the same level and type of energy in the mitzvah. Now, the truth is that n- no two people are alike. So really there should be, you know, 17 million Jews, 17 million types of types of kavanah, but then the tanya would never end and, and uh, to, to really discover the nuances and the subtleties that differentiate one man from the next. But there are a couple of core types of Kavana. And uh, there's a Kabbalistic underpinning to all of this. I'm going I'm to paraphrase here, take, a, take some liberty and paraphrase what the Alter ever wants to communicate. Every human being has two parts. The external, which puts us in, all in the same ball game, and the internal, which separates one from the other. There's the fact that we're all physical, we all need to eat, drink, sleep, are formed with the same type of body even if it's a little bit of a different thing but everybody's got the eyes the nose the ears the mouth everyone does very very similar things but it's all external and then there's the inner self your personality let's call it your psyche your heart your mind your soul these things that's where we that's where we differ what makes me different from you if all we had to account for were the bodies there actually wouldn't be a difference, maybe a little bit of a different shape. But what really makes one person different from the next is who you are, the person within the person. To tie it into our, to our, to our previous conversation, when you talk about the body of a mitzvah, let's say, that's the, that's the parallel to the outer part of ourselves, there's no difference between one Jew and the next. I shake the lulav, you shake the lulav in the exact same way. In fact, if we modified it, it, it's it's no longer shaking a lulav. I bake matzah, you bake matzah. If I poured a little salt into the matzah dough mix, it's no longer matzah. In, in In the external level of mitzvahs, we're actually all the same. Just like in the external part of ourselves, we're all the same. The differentiation is only in the inner part or to use our framework only in the intent, only in the passion. What makes my davening different than your davening is the way we experience it from our hearts and minds perspective. What makes my Seder different from your Seder on Passover is the level of experience that we have. For one person, he feels the liberty, he feels the Pesach. The other person, it's more dry, he's, he's got, let me just finish the thought, is, is um, he just goes through it. That's what differentiates. So when we say not one size fits all for passion, what that means is we're entering the inner realm. And in the inner realm, no two people are the same. If we wanna go even a little deeper, I'm gonna get into this next week a little more. It's the makeup of our soul that dictates this difference. The reason why one person has one type of experience and the other person has another is because our souls are drawn from different sources, and so that leads one soul to express itself in this way, another soul to express itself in that way.
1: So, why are we allowed so, to so to one
0: second. Ourselves? Let, me, let me just let me just complete this and then and then get, get to the questions. And hence, since passion is dictated by your inside, which is dictated by your soul, to understand the different levels of passion, we're going to have to get into different types of souls. That will give us the help that we need to understand what one type of Jew's passion might be versus another. You got something to say? Yeah, I,
1: um, you, you mentioned that story earlier, the Baal Shukot. Knowing the difference between two synagogues.
0: Yes. And um, in one, there was a sort of internal spirit, it seems, that was lacking. Yes. Wasn't and the other, the internal
1: spirits were higher. The words were high flown, and so the, the synagogue was empty, empty. And then you, you know, two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, you mentioned that um, the Rebbe said even the thought of God would etch grooves into the brain. But now you're telling me that externally
0: everything is the same. Yes. Great, great question. Yeah. Great question. The question on the table is, didn't we talk about last week how everything has to go into action, everything has to see itself in, you know, express itself in the physical, and now we're kind of jumping to the ethereal where everything is about inspiration and that's the soul of everything. And uh, there's no answer to that. It's, it's, It's two sides of the coin in chapters 35 to 37 the, the the focal point is how action is paramount and how much it helps fulfill god's ultimate desire for the creation of the world from chapter 38 and on it's a it's the flip side of it we also require uh, intent so when we're talking about the greatness of action we go all the way and everything has to see itself through into action when we delve into the depth of passion what we're going to be seeing is kind of I don't want to say totally divorced from action, but we're going to be focusing fully on the intent. Whether the two are mutually exclusive, I don't think they are, and I don't think the algebra ever wants us to look at it that way. But it's important that within the context of whatever discussion we're having, we we, we, we focus on the fullness of it. You know, it, we're going all in. You know, it is something that one of my one of my teachers used to always say. Uh, doesn't tie into the Tanya, but because you brought it up, I'll just share it. In the 1980s, when the Rebbe would farbring, this kind of, it was already in the beginning, but it evolved in the last 10 years of the Rebbe's public talks, you could almost count on it that the first talk, about 40 to 45 minutes, would be extolling the virtues of, the, of that day. Example. Today is Wednesday. It's the 14th of Cheshvan, okay? You can get a whole talk how Wednesday is the greatest day of the week because the sun and the moon. And the 14th of Cheshvan, it's the second month and it's 14 days and the number 14. And the Parsha, it's Avram Avinu. And we got this. And basically you walk out of this talk, you go there could be no better day on the Jewish calendar. And then that Shabbos, that Shabbos, it's go, today is the 17th of Cheshvan and there's no better day than this. And this is the Parsha and this is the month. And then a month later, it's the same thing. Wow. Today is the 19th favorite of Kislev, no favorite it, chapter. Yeah. This favorite is what happens. <laughs> See, this is the connection. And, and I, I don't know if this came from the Rebbe himself. I heard this from one of my teachers. I don't know if the Rebbe said it himself, but somebody once questioned, you know, like, how does that work? I was like, is today the most? Like, will the real best day please stand up? And the thought that was shared was, that's what being present in Judaism means. It means where you are is the most important, and there's nothing bigger than now. So I'm just borrowing that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm borrowing. I'm making a link, and I'm saying that the conversations in the last chapters and the coming ones are definitely on a different ballgame. I think the the job would be to fuse it I mean, and actually, how we confuse. That's,
1: that's the the central like essence of joy and happiness. Also, is that like presence to the point where yes.
0: The, A- like what, ab- absolutely, right.
1: It's it's the, the, yeah, the it's dancing 100%. in the. I think I think it's also like you said, where you
0: are. Wherever you are, you got to find the most important thing. And it's where but you,
1: you are physically, internally today as
0: well. Yes, hundred percent.
1: it's also manifesting it yourself, right? Like if you if you yes, live you, in that you, way. You, well, that's
0: what it is. You have to be present in order to live that way, in order to speak that way, and to. Yeah. But, I've shared something. I hope it I hope it helps. Yeah, so but to, Danny had a question. Well, Tilo's one example. Davening is one example. The, yeah.
1: the of with God is ostensibly what God values me. Yes. And yet there's a tremendous emphasis on uniformity of feeling. Yes. So and it is something that I struggle with a lot and specifically today. The fact that I find myself going through Tefillah by rote when there's so many words to say, and I don't, you know, I'm speaking in Hebrew, I don't know so what to say. Why isn't there more of an emphasis, or more, or is, is, it seems to me this should be at the essence of Kabbalists, but it's not. For us to carve, look, Rabbi Nachman talks about. His bow to do and having a direct relationship with yes. God and speaking to Him, and yes. screaming to Him, and having a
0: relation—your
1: own—nowhere else is that there.
0: So this is another question on the table that's actually very much related, which is, how do we resolve the individual passion with the uniformity and the demand of the sages to keep every mitzvah, you know, in a very limited way? It's a davening is a great question because. That's, like, we talk about davening as being the inspirational time of day, and yet we say you've got to say these words with this minion, on this pace. And, uh, and, and of course, in halacha there's room for the individual prayers, and you can say it during you know, the Amida. Small moments. Small moments. But you would think if is valued so much the, the passion, let everyone make up their own davening. You know? And by the way, that's how it used to be. That is how it used to be. The Talmud relates that there was not always a uniform text for davening. Davening was the service of the heart. That's how the Torah describes it, serving God with your heart. And that everybody expressed his needs to God as his heart desired and based on what he needed. There's a fascinating piece of Maimonides where the Rambam writes that what happened over time was that people became less fluent in expressing their needs. They didn't have the language to talk to Hashem. They found themselves struggling and that's when the sages stepped in and instituted a uniform nusach, what we call a text for davening. And they said, and kabbalistically this is supported, that everything necessary can be found to be contained in the letters of davening. And this was accepted, you know, universally. And that's how, and that's how we daven. So that's just history. That doesn't answer the question. The um, anyway, I, I don't, I don't want to go too deep into it because it's not a davening class. We can do a class on that. And there's a whole. This 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 from this yes but there, there's a bigger picture element and uh, I'm going to suggest something not that this is at the core of everything it's just because what we had in the Tanya that that you know correlates to this which is we talked about a number of weeks ago a relationship with the infinite could only be dictated by the infinite it's a very logical statement so long as you're seeking to get close to somebody that's finite you can dictate the terms of the relationship. But
1: we are by essence finite. With, so we the, cannot have an infinite. We can only have a finite relationship.
0: But if the infinite tells you how to do it, you can get close to the infinite. That's, and that may be a uniquely Hasidic position, but it is the position in the Tanya. But
1: that's conflicting with the previous notion of the which is at the essence of the Tanya. Okay, so this is, this
0: is what we talked about before, the dual, the dual reality. We have to, on the one hand, keep in mind that Hashem is the infinite. He's telling us how to get close to Him. At the same time, there's got to be inspiration. You're, it's got to become your own. And, we, and you know what, this is our mission. Our mission is to fuse it. Our mission is to find ourselves in the davening. Our mission is to find ourselves in the mitzvahs. To wrestle, to struggle with it. And um, I know I'm not resolving the question. This, these are this, 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 it's, it's, it's existential. You know, it's existential. No, you finally made us to yeshiva. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's existential. Exactly. Exactly. And and I I I guess because these questions are coming up, that it's a good time to say, for the next sixteen weeks, we're going to be focused on one side of the coin. We are going to be invested in the passion part of Judaism, in the finding yourself in it. And, we, and we're and we're gonna have to fuse it the to the, the to, to the, uh, to the deed. Huh?
1: Isn't this ultimately the essence is of the bulsh of the rebellion against? No. This is the opposite of misnograin.
0: I know how it looks, but it's not that way. Why? <sighs> because we 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 as Jews we have the power to live in paradox.
1: Uh, I, I said it, like it so that's about, what it is. We're talking about a Judaism of the heart as well as the mind.
0: Ye- yes, true. The
1: Stachdum, right, essentially a Judaism of the mind.
0: Well, I don't want to generalize like that. It's a, it's 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 Judaism without inspiration. <laughs> it's lie. Judaism without
1: inspiration.
0: Oh, no, and that's that's what that's dry, very very dry, and and we find that over the years, you know, everybody's looking for, for meaning, everyone's looking for relevance, for inspiration. But anyway, I think we're getting carried off topic. Let's, let's recenter, let's refocus. We've come to the conclusion that passion is individual. And it's individual because souls are individual. And as a general rule, there are four types of souls. Corresponding to anybody that's initiated in Kabbalah a little bit, we might have heard of the four worlds. Kabbalah understands that divine consciousness exists on four levels. The names might also be familiar. Excuse me. We have uh, atzilut, that's the world of emanation, bria, the world of creation, yitzira, the world of formation, and asiyah, the world of action. And what separates these worlds are not physical space, obviously, but kind of like the terminology that you might say about a friend of yours, he's in his own world. You ever hear that that term? He's in his own world. And what that means is that he's in his own... He he sees everything from a different place. His realm of reality is is just different. And so Kabbalistically, there are four levels of divine consciousness. The way you experience God in this world is different to the way you experience God in a higher world, and so on and so forth. Four generally. And Kabbalah teaches that souls come from one of these four realms. Some souls, very rarely, the highest righteous people, are souls of atzilut. Moshe Rabbeinu was an example of a soul of atzilut. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was another example. Some souls come from Bria, some from Yitzira, and some from Asiya. And commensurate with the world to which your soul comes from is the type of passion that your Judaism will express itself in. And for this week and next week, the Alter Rebbe goes into these general four types of passion. What is the action soul, formation soul, creation soul, emanation soul, or to use more modern day words, because these sound these are too uh, abstract? Action-centered Jew, emotion-centered Jew, intelligence-centered Jew, and God-centered Jew. These are the four. The four classes. Two tonight, two next week. What does each one line up with? In terms of the worlds? The, the, the God lines up with God lines up with the highest. With the highest. In, in intelligence intellect lines up with Bria. Emotion, Yitzira, Action Asir. Interestingly, the action level, the lowest level is not discussed explicitly in the Tanya. It's only in a note in chapter 40, but I'm borrowing it so, just so I can structure the, the discussion completely. I mean, it's my own
1: question, like, but for internal reasons, but is a soul exclusively in these?
0: Uh, yes, your soul is from one of the four worlds. Exclusively. Exclusively. Oh. Yeah. And I've, typically... Uh, we're 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 all from Asia. All of us in this generation are from the lowest realm. We're action Jews. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's why we're so centered on the action. But we still learn about passion. Yeah, all right. An we're an action Jew. Cool. Can
1: we get a I'm
0: like the Rock. Of action Jews. <laughs> right. We got the Rock. What comes from that world? That that you Oh, good question. Come back next week.
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no? Nope. Lucky for you, it's his favorite chapter. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> yeah. well, next no, but, that, uh, but that's true.
1: Is he called the of in the Would you call him the uh, intellectual?
0: I don't make classifications unless I know. It's handed down from Rebbe to Rebbe that the Alter Rebbe was a was Neshama from Matsilos. But I don't know is the highest. Absolute, a God-centered, yeah, the highest one. Watch
1: the trailer for next week. <laughs> exactly.
0: But to, so, and so, so... And does
1: it go in that order, the bottom of action, emotion, intellectual,
0: Yes, intellect, it goes intellect, in that order, God. exactly. Thanks. Bottom, action, emotion, and intellect, and God. And we're going to build this up. It's, it's going to be a four-step, four-pronged ladder. And again, I want to say that everybody has to find their individual space within, you know, within what, what you have. But thematically it's divided into these four categories. And so tonight we're going to focus on the action Jew's passion and the emotion Jew's passion. The action Jew's passion, because his name is action Jew, is very, very low key. Action Jew means his soul is centered on action and not so much the emotion. Yet we demand of him as well, he has to have some level of intent. Otherwise, the mitzvahs are like a body without a soul. What is the action Jew's level of passion? It's called tmimut. Tmimut means innocence. sincerity, innocence. Yeah. Sincerity, uh, a deep integrity. This is not a Jew that gets very emotionally charged about what he does, but he's very, very content with his spirituality. These are the, uh, the uncomplicated Jews. The guys that don't need answers because they don't have questions. And, and, and not because they're not bright. They could be professors. But when it comes to Hashem and holiness and divinity and yeah. transcendence, you know how the teenagers say today? It, it, it vibes with them you know it's um, it's a very very deep genuineness not asking him to get excited not asking him to feel a burning desire a love an awe it's what's called in other places in Hasidut Kabbalat ol he's accepted the yoke Accepted the yoke means two things. First, he's fully committed to doing what he has to do. At the same time, his relationship to God is one of acceptance. There's a wholesomeness with it. At peace. I've met, maybe in my life, and I'm very young, but two, maybe two people like this that have lived up to this. Just guys that show up to davening. You know, these guys... these are not flying high people, but you can see that they're in it. You can see that they've arrived. You know, you can see that they, they, they just, they, they, they feel God in some way. Not because they're big geniuses, not because they have hearts of fire. It's just a wholesomeness. T'mimut. This, and believe it or not, this is the level that's demanded of us. That's the that's the kavanah that we, as a theme, put it have to have to find in our mitzvahs, and it's the it's the soul of our mitzvahs. See, because <clears throat> below this is doing it completely dryly, with no feeling at all. This is a level of simplicity, and it's just good. It's just it's just good to be in this space with Hashem together. I got it. It's going. We have something going that's the action is there
1: is there a clear path that's drawn to get there like to get there understanding practice like is there like a
0: recipe is there a recipe yes there is a recipe not discussed in the Tanya but discussed in uh, later discourses from later Rebbes I'm going to share something at the end of the class that might that might help with that
1: Rabbi, on the action Jew, you said that's what we're striving for, yet you also said they don't ask questions. But on the flip side, you don't arrive until you ask questions.
0: Yes, okay. The paradox again. Uh, When I said they don't have questions, I, I don't mean that they accept everything with blind faith simplistically. What I'm saying is, as it relates, insofar as the relationship with God is concerned, they're not the guys that are trying to figure everything out. And i got to work out the whole plumbing system. Of course, they, they also confront, just like we confront ourselves as humans, of course, and, and have to make peace with it. But, but as a theme, their, their mode of life is from within that frame of reference, where we didn't have to get sophisticated to get a good feeling. And then you have the emotional Jew. it's a higher level of passion. And it's important to listen and take this part in, even though many of us may not be with these type of souls, specifically for the point that Julian mentioned before, which we're going to discuss next week, about the elevation of souls. Sometimes we get a glimpse. But to really understand the emotional Jew, I'm just going to for a second, borrow something from next week, which is the next level, the intellectual Jew. What's the? I'm, I'm going to use the contrast to help explain what we're talking about. The emotional Jew is the Jew who uses his tendencies, the way it was ingrained in him, to achieve a passionate relationship with God. But he never leaves his predispositions. That's why... In in Kabbalah, and we're going to see about this next week as well, these souls are called animals, because animals are born with a tendency, and they're not expected to change it, they don't change it, and that's their character. So he lives within his, what's called Teva, he lives within his nature. The capacity of a human that puts us above all else is that we have the capacity to reason see things from an objective perspective instead of just subjective, and allow ourselves to experience something from without of our our tendency. (coughs) And so the human Jew, let's call it the, the intellectual soul, will achieve a relationship with God that doesn't necessarily have to be dictated by the way he was born, his character. In Hebrew, the word Teva, which we use for nature, also has the same meaning of uh, matbeya, a mint. That's why coins are called mat- matbeya because they have a mint. And what that means is that every soul, as it came down the conveyor belt, there's angels that are standing there with a stamp, and you get stamped, stamp. Everyone gets stamped. And everybody gets stamped with a disposition, with certain tendencies. This guy, more conservative. Everything has to be calculated. Everything has to be understood. This guy, more free, doesn't, sometimes impulsive, different types of choices. Some people are born with disposition to negativity. One thing can lead to another, can lead to tricking people, can lead to stealing, can lead to murder, can lead to some, some incredibly evil things. Some people are born with disposition to piety. That's just the way it is. Everyone gets a stamp. Now, it doesn't take away free will, very important, like one of my Tiny teachers used to say, it doesn't take away freedom of will, but it takes away freedom of options. In other words, a guy who's predisposed a certain way will find himself cultivating his life in one way, so that his options where he needs to exercise his free will will be limited. But everybody has the chance to exercise free will and to access every part of the panorama of, of, of character. But this is this is the Teva. Everyone's got a Teva. Everyone's got a, a mint, a coin. On the one hand, we're all the same. We're all minted. On the other hand, everyone's got a little thing. So, every nature, like everything in life, can be used for self or can be used for God. And uh, this Jew, who's from the emotional level, says, I'm going to choose to use my nature for God. But... I'm never going to go past that. If I find that I have a loving nature, I'm going to use that in every godly way I can. I'm going to be kind to people, I'm going to take people into consideration, I'm going to make you know, be very gracious, I'm going to be a host, I'm going to be giving, I'm going to be generous. Whatever you do, you do. I'm going to use it all for God. But I'm never going to use the part of me that has to be disciplined, because that's not who I am. I'm always going to be impulsive and free. Never access that part, you know, so elsewhere, not, not in Tanya, but in Hasidus, they, they give an example of uh, exoskeletal creatures, yeah. right? Some of us, uh, I don't know the Latin words for it, but some of us have like a spinal cord, right? The bones are inside, that's right. humans typically, vertebrae. Yeah. And then you have those, those creatures that, uh, uh, their body is just, it's mush, but, yeah. but like they, have a, shell, so like a they turtle, have a shell, like a turtle, crab, exactly. And uh, when, they lose, when, when, when they break their shell, they die. That's why the most vulnerable time, you know, is when they have to shed a shell and then grow a new one because that's when they're most that's when they're most vulnerable. So it gives the metaphor that the guy who never wants to leave his nature is like the exoskeletal creature. He says, I'm, I'm gonna be good, but I'm gonna stay in my shell. I'm never gonna break out of my shell. Whatever emotions Hashem gave to me, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna really use, I'm gonna capitalize on it. But never never find something else, a different area. And that's why this, this Jew next week is gonna be called an animal and an angel, because angels are also like that. They're minted with one way, and that's how they are. It says, you know, angel Michael is all about loving God. The angel of Gabriel is discipline, seriousness. The angel of uh, this one is about healing and beauty. Every angel's got his thing, and they don't, they don't explore. The, in fact, they can't explore anything else. They only have one, one identity. Animals are the same way, and the Jew chooses to function on his emotional level on his tendency level is being just like that there's a big caveat which is that while angels never get a chance to look at another side of their character because they don't have one we do we have we believe that every Jew was born with a complete soul with the full gamut of characteristics and we can choose to access them but to the extent that you haven't you're like an animal and an angel higher though than the first level The action Jew's passion was simply a sincerity. He's not making sure to use his emotional tendencies and fire them up. This second guy is. But he's staying in his shell. (coughs) The true human being, the intellectual Jew, is going to be the one who can be objective, mind over heart use the capacity to explore things intellectually to create emotions that are opposite to his nature. Things that had you left him to his own devices, he wouldn't grow into. But that we're going to explore more fully in in chapter 39. And I want to just share something in closing, which is, when when the Baal Shem Tov introduced this whole idea of joy and passion into Judaism he had many students and many branches of Chasidis opened up Chabad stands for Chachma Binadat put a tremendous emphasis on study and intellect while many other Rebbes were more about inspiring and fiery and loving and beauty and warmth and uh, Chabad in its early generations came to be accused of being passion deficient like you, you know, you're you're, you're sucking it's it all ironic, out, huh? <laughs> right? You're sucking it all out because here,
1: oh well, yeah, because
0: <laughs> right. here, you're, everything becomes an an, an an analysis. Everything becomes a study. They they, they would even <laughs> say that there was this Hasidic saying that said, um, and they, they were very honest back then. They said all the Hasidic dynasties are like burning paper, very very flashy in the moment but dies down very quickly. But Chabad is like a cannon, fully loaded cannon. It's got the ammunition and everything, but it's missing a spark. So they would self-deprecate, like we got it. You know, our our inspiration doesn't last too long. It's burning paper, but at least we're better because you guys have a full cannon, but there's nothing, it's, it's not lighting. Chabad Rebbes would say, we'd rather the delayed passion, but let it be powerful. You know, when that spark will come, it'll blow into a cannon. And so, of course, contrary to that belief, Chabad is very, very much, and Hasidus is very, very much in favor of infusing our mitzvahs with passion. Central, central to Hasidus. But no matter which which kind of passion you take, which road, whether we're the action Jews, the emotion Jews, or maybe we're next week's intellectual Jews, or God-centered Jews. There's one thing that applies to all passion. And this, surprisingly, is not a vart from Hasidus, although it's a very Hasidic vart. It comes from a sefer called Orchot Sadikim, studied today as one of the Musar classics. But actually, it's from the time of the Rishonim. Rashi is believed to be the author. We don't know who the author is, but, uh, but it goes back... To, to the 10-hundreds, to the 11-hundreds. Sorry, Rabbi, you just mentioned Musar. Yes. That's the first
1: time I've heard Musar in Hasidic. Uh, Class, Hasidic. right? That's Listen, also
0: you got you to gotta draw. Yeah,
1: okay. No,
0: but this, yeah, that's why it's not really called Musar. The Musar movement was much later invent, you know, invented, if we can say, but it's a, it's a very ethical book. It's a book about working on yourself, but he says something that's really, really sharp and ties in, and this is what I want to conclude with. Yeah. He says, you can't have dual passions. You can't have dual passions. A passion for God, he says, must come at the cost of the passion for the physical. If your passion is in pizza and ice cream,
1: yeah.
0: it's, it, can't, it can't translate. It can't into passion for God. Passion for God is gonna require less passion in the Yankees and Dodgers games. That's just how it works. To the level this passion is up, this one will be down. To the level this one is up, you will find this one going down. Now, of course, in the physical, you can have passion for pizza and for Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. That, that works. But when we're talking, we're talking physical and spiritual. So this is the... So
1: there is a limited amount of passion. That's right. Your passion goes
0: here or there? It's a zero-sum game. The, a zero sum game. And, 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 and therefore, when we talk about the need for passion in Yiddishkeit, we're really facing ourselves. Because it means we're making the active choice of investing the energy here. The warmth is going to be here. And I'll still do the other things but it's not going to be my life.
1: But passion is not a zero-sum game. Passion begets passion. It's not like you have, 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 well, we have three children. I don't have enough love in me to have a fourth child.
0: Yes, but that's, that's within one realm. We're talking about the physical and the spiritual here. Of course, within physical, you could have passion to this and to that and to everything. And within the spiritual, we're going to learn over, over, the, so. over the years, over the weeks, so. of course, that so you have passion on one level, passion on another level. So, but to the even extent even that your even passion even and even godliness rises... Passion.
1: From something as base as the Dodgers or Rice Yes. Green. If you can channel that passion, it will ignite the spark towards God.
0: Oh, okay. You're bringing up a different point. This is this, who, remembers, who remembers the boring Benoni from chapter 15? I never
1: got
0: okay, that's the me. point that you're bringing up, which is a great point. <laughs> that better to have something of passion than to have nothing, because if you have passion, we can direct it. But even there, what we're acknowledging is we have to direct it. Right? Once, once you start with the passion for the Dodgers and it turns into passion for Tefillin at the Dodgers games, you're going to find the passion for the Dodgers game go down. Right? So that, that's a true point that, and I, I, I do want to acknowledge that. Passion does beget passion and if you better to have something than to have nothing. But it's this power that we're getting into now. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be into this and finding more and more levels of inspiration, more and more ways to connect to God and that's my blessing that we should find the passion that matches us and to find the part in us that matches the passion and thereby bring a soul into our Torah and mitzvahs.